So the last two weeks, uh, I began to provide kind of my answer to the question that I was asked about a month ago. How do we get this started, right? How, how can we get people to finally take this call to discipleship seriously? And I gave you another question to ponder for your own life. What is your vision and plan for the formation of your soul, right? And you kind of get one of those LOL what looks, you know, because it seems like the wrong sort of question to be asking uh, about your spirit. But we plan for everything that we care about, don't we? Yeah. We talked about these transformative qualities uh, that define life in the kingdom, right? What the kingdom of God is like. And how for many of us, while we're aware of these and even desire them, they often seem more like elusive traits than something that we can actually take hold of for our own life. And I propose to you that there is a way, an orderly way, in fact, that this process can be in your life. And it is not complicated. It is not difficult. It is the way of rest. Yeah? It is the easy burden for the, for the, for the worried and burdened soul. And Last week, I began to share with you more of the nuts and bolts of this process, right? We began to talk about how the narratives that we have, these, these, these core ideas that we have in our lives, subconsciously even, these are the things that we actually believe, the things that we actually act upon in our lives, right? What you do is what you believe, right? One of the things Pastor Larry used to say, I would say, I know, right? He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> Uh, if you knew, you would do, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if left unchecked, these narratives, they, they, they dictate everything about our lives. And uh, last week I briefly mentioned the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit in this process is, is kind of the director and guide. And all of this is under the Spirit's supervision, right? And guidance and direction. And as obvious as it may be, as it may sound, it is the Spirit of God that enables spiritual formation, right? And so our scripture reading this morning was of Jesus' baptism and uh, at the hands of John the Baptist, that, that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and that God publicly affirms Jesus as his son, right? And so in the spirit of this passage, I want to talk more about this absolutely crucial element uh, to our formation a little more. The Holy Spirit, right? Which again, descended upon Jesus like a dove, which is a symbol of peace. Yeah? Peace. Something to ponder. So, we see covenants, sometimes between people, right? Individual people, sometimes between people and God. These things are all through the Old Testament. And, and along with the covenant, right, which is just the agreement that is made, right, along with that covenant, there is always a sign of the covenant, right? A sign of the covenant. The sign was a means of demonstrating that you were a part of this agreement, right? It was a means of you to demonstrate your faithfulness to the agreement, right? So, uh, some, some quick biblical examples here include God's covenant with Noah, right? 
the Noahic covenant or the universal covenant sometimes it's called. What was the sign there? The rainbow, exactly. Uh, God's covenant with Abraham. What was the sign there? Huh? The circumcision, right? Circumcision. Uh, God's covenant with Moses, what we know as the law. What was the sign there? This one's a little tougher. It's Sabbath. It's rest. (laughs) But in the New Testament, God has made a way... Uh, has made a new covenant, right, with all of us. And the Holy Spirit and the reality of a renovated heart, the writing of the law on our hearts, this is the sign of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? This is the sign, the mark that we are set apart. Yeah. Through the Spirit, God has made a way for us to live in Him. You with me? So we'll talk some more about how this works, at least in my own opinion. But first, we're going to talk a little about us. Us. So we, as I've said before, are made to be formed, right? We're like clay. And we have been formed, right? You have a spirit, and it has been formed. The things that form us always come from without. That is, whatever you've been formed by came from something that is not you. Does it make sense? You were molded by something that isn't your own self. Always. You remember the greatest commandment, right? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? You can think of the human person consisting of these five basic parts. Heart, soul, mind, strength, and neighbor. Wait, my neighbor is a part of me? Yes. So heart, you can think of this as the innermost part of you, right? It is your spirit. Your heart is your spirit. It is your will. It's your volition. Your, your ability to choose is your executive center, okay? It is the center of your character, right? When we speak of spiritual formation, we're also talking about the renovation of your heart. We talk about character formation. We're talking about spiritual formation. We're talking about renovation of your heart. We're talking about the things that you automatically choose right? Next was your soul. While the spirit is that innermost part of you, that executive center, the soul is the most inclusive part of you, okay? Its function is to integrate all of these other parts of you together into a cohesive thing that we call a life, you, right? A broken soul is often the result of one or more of these parts being dysfunctional or malfunctioning in some way. Next is the mind, and for our purposes, the mind is both your thoughts and your feelings, which includes your emotions, right? The body, this is the focal point of your presence 
in the physical and social world, right? It's the primary way that you interact with and experience reality, your body, right? It's like, it's also your, your strength, as Jesus says, right? It's your battery pack. It's what enables you to live and move, right? So, uh, oftentimes the body acts on its own, and that's a good thing, right? Like when you blink, if you had to think about every blink you took, man, <laughs> Or every time your heart beat, the 100,000 times a day your heart beats. Can you imagine having to consciously do that? Yeah? But like even in like the act of walking, yeah, there are, there are so many coordinated things happening as I am moving here that I'm not even thinking about anymore. I'm not thinking about the position of my heel in relation to my left toe as I am stepping. Neither are you, right? But at one point you had to. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Kelly's going through that right now with Cora. And so, uh, it was through much practice, right? And accompanied by probably the cheers of your parents, you learned to do this painstakingly to the point where it became second nature for you, right? Your body was molded into submission to learn how to do this thing. You hardly think more than fridge or bathroom, and there you are, <laughs> right? It just works. It's weird, huh? Through practice and repetition, uh, we teach our bodies to behave certain ways to the point that those behaviors, again, become second nature. That is, they, they function pre-consciously, right? We've talked about this before, your pre-consciousness. It's interesting, and we're going to come back to that concept in the future some more. But next we have neighbor. That's our social context. And yes, that is very much a part of who you are. You are made ontologically. Your reality is as a social being. And because of that, there is a moral imperative for you to be so. You must be with other people. This is where we go beyond our body, right? But still, still very much a part of the person that you are. It's your relationships with others. It begins with your parents when you're just an infant. And it, and it goes on to your immediate family and out from there, right? Uh, you'll recall what I said, that, that what forms us is always outside of us, right? These relationships are fundamental in the early way that you are going to begin to be formed. It shapes the kinds of people that we will become. I mean, what was it I've heard before? Like the first five years of your, of your life is some of the most important formative years, cognitively, spiritually, it's, it's wild. Your mom was right when she warned you about hanging out with certain people right? What you're with forms you. Your spiritual formation and the repair of a broken soul will involve each one of these parts. And it's why I think Jesus says that you have to love God with all of them. Yeah? Remember again, we're formed by things outside of us. The way we often live our lives, meaning what we have allowed ourselves to be formed by is primarily through our social context, right? What we just talked about this. The people, places, and ideas that we are mostly 
uh, in consistent proximity to? What are we around? And this most readily occurs through what? Our body. Where are we? Where are we placing ourselves? Yeah? And then we allow our minds, which again includes your thoughts and your feelings, to dwell on the signals that your body is picking up on. Right? This in turn feeds our spirits and therefore settles into character. This is one of the reasons I think Paul instructs us to dwell on whatever is good, pure, and holy. But we direct our minds to settles into character ultimately. And finally, this is then, this character, is directed back to God and the rest of the world, right? This is simply nature at work. This is how animals function, right? And it probably won't take much thought for you to realize that this is precisely what is happening in the world around us right now. And not just in the thing that you think I'm talking about, but in a great deal more. Nearly all of it, in fact. It is in this model, social to to body, to mind, to spirit, to God, that I think Paul is referring to when he speaks of the mind set on the flesh. You can see the mind is after and therefore on the body, right? I don't know if we've got our graphic. Social to body to mind to spirit to God. So the mind is on the body, right? Here it is in Romans 8, verses 6 through 8. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But to become fully human, as Jesus shows us, imagine for a moment if this were flipped over, like in the next graphic, so that our spirits receive from God's spirit, our minds dwell on these things from above, which is, the, which is then manifested in our bodies and through action into our social context. Same thing as before, it's just in reverse, right? This, I think, is what is meant by the mind set on the spirit. Again, you can see the mind is on the spirit. Now, to be clear, I am not saying your body is bad. That's heresy. I'm not saying that. The flesh is probably best understood as our sinful nature, right? That it is, it is the body and consequence, consequentially the mind present within a broken soul. Your body is a good thing. and It is an essential element of your spiritual formation. And again, we're going to get more into that down the road. But I, I just wanted to kind of caveat that. I'm not saying your body's bad. Your body is a wonderful, beautiful thing, okay? But in the first model, the body becomes an instrument of death, Paul says. So take a look at what Paul says in verses 9 through 11 in the same passage. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since the Spirit of God dwells in you, 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your immortal bodies also through his Spirit that dwells in you. And here we have life in the body and erupting beyond the body as a result of what? The mind set on the Spirit. In Luke 6.45, Jesus puts it like this. The good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good, and the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Yeah? Mind on spirit. Worship team, would y'all make your way back up, please? Thank you so much. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit, right? Again, mind set on the flesh or mind on the spirit. You're probably familiar with this, but here's what he says in verses 19 through 25 anyway. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That sounds like character, doesn't it? I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit, mindset on the Spirit. Let's get ourselves properly situated so that we are living our lives with our mind set on the Spirit. That's what I'm after here. So how do we do that? Well, let's see. Dean, how did you initiate your relationship with your wife? Don't give me that. Yeah, right? You started talking to her. Man, think whoa, right? Mind blown. <laughs> you asked her out, right? You asked her out. You expressed your desire to get to know her a little more. The same is probably true for all of you, right? It didn't just magically happen. You had to go say something. You had to go express your desire. You had to invite them into your life, right? It's like that. We express our desire for the Spirit to lead and guide us. While Jenny had the opportunity to reject you, she didn't, thankfully, but God promises he will not reject us. There is no fear of rejection when you come to God and say, hey, I just want to be led by you, right? In the early days 
of your relationship, even before you were a thing. And probably for some time after, you spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about the other person, didn't you? Like all the time. <laughs> or is, it, is that just me? <laughs> it's good, right? If you have a healthy marriage, you should still be thinking about your spouse frequently. And the same is true of our relationship with God. We should spend time thinking about God, especially with other people who are on this journey with us, right? But at, this, at some point in your relationship with your spouse, you shifted not just to, from not just thinking about them, you began to think with them, right? From planning your wedding to your finances, vacations, to how you're going to raise your kids, to who's doing what, right? Just about everything in between. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that one of the best signs of a healthy relationship is the frequency and about what you are thinking with each other on. Yeah? Thinking with. There's a term for this. It's called mutual mind. Mutual mind. So you see, we, we start with like this, this uh, self-awareness, right? Like, uh, what's the word? I can't think. My brain's gone. <laughs> I've lost the word. I think I mentioned this to you. What was the word I used for the self? I forget. We have this self-awareness, right? And it's, oh, mindfulness, right? To be mindfully aware of your own person, right? Uh, and then at, at the age of around five, six, seven, we begin to develop this ability to, to be aware that there is another consciousness, another mind behind the faces that we see. By the age of 12, all of, it's all kind of done, right? And then we can begin to experience this next thing. Not only are we mindfully aware of our own selves and mindfully aware of the consciousness behind each of the faces that we see, but we can begin to connect with those minds. And not just verbally, but again, pre-consciously. We see similar states occur in all sorts of activities from sports to spades. In sports, we call this phenomenon chemistry. You're familiar with it, yeah? That team's got chemistry. They're firing on all cylinders, right? They're in sync. Have you ever played the card game spades? Anyone? Yeah? I love spades. It's a, it's a two-player, like, uh, team-based trick-taking game, right? And one of the neatest things about it is that you can't talk while you're playing. There's no table talk. You and your a partner are, are, are deciding as a, as a unit how many tricks you think you're going to take. And you do this without speaking to each other. It's fascinating. Uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to win against a, a team 
that is experienced, who's been doing that together for a long time because they know each other, they know each other's tendencies, they know how the other plays, they have developed a state of mutual mind in that game. Does that make sense? On the worship team, pastors Jenny and Nisa, they always called this gelling. Yeah, gelling. It's that, it's that moment in the service when it feels like everything just kind of comes together and the music is, is just really, really good. Like, you might not even recognize it as that, but you feel it, yeah? You're like, oh, what just happened? Spirit of God's in this place. Yes, Spirit of God is always in this place. But it was that gelling, that state of mutual mind that they had that enabled you to more easily enter in and recognize it, right? Mutual mind. It's that state of mutual mind, of being in sync, of thinking with, toward a common cause that enables us to notice the presence of God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, Paul says, anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Whoa. Have you ever read that before? One spirit with God? Stop and process this for a second. Maybe you've thought a lot about God. Yeah, I hope. I know I have. But have you ever thought with God? Is that even possible? What would that even look like? Like, really? <laughs> but I think, I think absolutely it is. This, in my opinion, is one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit in your life. To achieve that state of mutual mind with God. The word in the Greek that's used for Holy Spirit, or it's a paraclete, right? Paraclete. It's a, the, the, the prefix para means like parallel, right? Beside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside, yeah? We are often quick to ask God for help or guidance or to pray for a need, but that is not thinking with, okay? As in the examples above, thinking with occurs pre-consciously, meaning that you are not even aware of it, and that your conscious mind isn't even aware that it isn't aware of it, <laughs> yeah? As far as it's concerned, as far as you are concerned, it just is. It just happens. It sounds like character, right? <laughs> like our automatic responses. It's all connected. If the athletes had to be consciously aware uh, in order to react to each other, think about that. What would that look like? The minimum human reaction time, not minimum, but average human reaction time is 0.25 seconds. That's one-fourth of a second, right? If you and I are trying to get in sync, or if you and I are trying to get in sync playing music, right? If I'm, it, it, that's that minimum round trip is half a second, guys. We're a half a second behind, right? By then it's too late. The moment's gone. Do you follow? How 
how do we get there? How does that team get that chemistry, that gel, right? They practice, they train. We achieve these states with other people by knowing them and their tendencies through consistent proximity. And intentionally being present, doing the thing. But those people have bodies and faces that we can see and interact with. How could we possibly have that with God? Again, <laughs> it's the same way, of course, but it does present some obvious additional challenges. So let's start with what we know. We know that we have access to the Spirit within us, in the world around us, through each other, right? The Spirit, we also know, is actively seeking our formation. The Spirit is desiring to lead us into truth and the character of Christ. So we know two things. We know we have access to the Spirit, and we know that the Spirit desires to lead us into all truth and form us into the character of Christ. We can begin with that confidence that we are His beloved children and the Spirit desires to grow us into emotional and spiritual maturity. We put our faith in that reality and we live as if it were true. Sometimes we start by mimicking, right? by faking. But then what? How do I know if it's really God? And I know this can seem like a really challenging question, but I really don't think it's so difficult to know when the Spirit is prompting you to do something. At least at first, right? I think you know how you think about things. And when you have a thought or a feeling or an unction that doesn't sound like you, it's probably not. <laughs> But you remember the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit from before? There's a good litmus test, right? Does it, does it look like strife, anger, and dissension? Or does it look like peace, kindness, and self-control? Here's another one. Jesus. Because again, the Spirit's primary role in your life is to lead you into the truth and character of Christ Jesus. It obviously requires that you become better acquainted with the person and work and vision of Jesus we find in the Gospels. Uh, remember last week we talked about letting go of our narratives and replacing them with his. Here's one of the ways that begins to come into play. You have to actually get to know Jesus in the scriptures. So the ultimate test is this, in my opinion. Does what you feel like look like Jesus Christ loving his enemies or not? That is, is it self-sacrificially loving? I think that is the ultimate test of your character, your formation, where you are spiritually. Is loving your enemies the automatic response? Because that was his. So God wants, I think, to commune with you at the speed of your preconscious mind. He wants you to be so in sync 
that your own thoughts and therefore actions feel like they're his. The state of mutual mind with God, my friends, is what it means to be led by the Spirit. And this is, of course, the model that Jesus lived for us as well. The way we get there is the same way we do with everyone else. We learn God's character, nature, and tendency through consistent proximity and intentional presence over time. It takes time. We start by thinking about, and we want to eventually begin to think with. And just like with other people, if our thinking about, in this case, if our theology is wrong, we will never think with. Just like with our, our, uh, our marriages, right? This is, we see this all the time in failed marriages. There was so much thinking about the other person early on that was an idealized fantasy and not actually the other person. And what happens? When wrong thinking is the foundation of our relationships, those relationships are bound to fail. Thankfully, God is gracious and he'll meet you halfway or all the way. But we must learn the true nature and character of God as as revealed in Jesus Christ. We can do this through study, through meditation of the scriptures. In community, again, you are a social creature. We can do this by studying the lives and the work of the Spirit in those lives of the people of the saints who have gone before us. Think about someone that you've known in the past who or even today, who just exhibits the kind of character in Christ that you want, and ask them, hey, what should I do? In other words, we can come to know about God by examining God's prior work, right? Because God's prior work, at least the parts that we can see, is what? It's the work of the Spirit. If you want to know how the Spirit leads and prompts, have a look. But as we become more and more familiar with God's work, God's handiwork, His craftsmanship, and we find ourselves more and more in love, we can truly begin to think with God in our lives and and really be led by the Spirit, demonstrating to the world that we are adopted sons and daughters. Amen. I've not not gone into too great of detail about, I guess, the the practical here, right? I'll tell you what it kind of looks like. But, uh, There's just not enough time for that here. We are going to get into that, I think, some, again, at a kind of a surface level, the practical side of this, in some weeks ahead. But for now, I just want you to know, or I want you to think, really, to think with God. 
Have I ever done that before? Has that ever been a part of my life? Do I even think it's real? Do I think it's possible? Why? Why not? Examine what you believe, what you do, what you live. Again, take a look at those narratives that rule your life. So, let's pray. Father, at the baptism of Jesus, you revealed him to be your son, and your Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. We ask that we, who are born again by water and the Spirit, would be faithful as your adopted children. Help us, Lord, to be one spirit with you. God, I want to think with you and not just about you. I want our lives to be so saturated in your thoughts that we can hardly differentiate them from our own. And I thank you, Lord, that you have made this possible by sending your spirit to dwell within us, leading us into all truth. In Jesus' name.